speak, Lord, your servant is ready to hear. That's the cry of our heart. At this time, too, we want to pray all together for our brother Richard and bless him uh, in this season as we think of his abounding in good works. And as he speaks now, Lord, uh, we pray for you to anoint him so that he would be an instrument of your grace, of your wisdom to all of us. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kokpai. Good morning, everyone. What are you all doing here? It's a day before Chinese New Year. You're supposed to be home, preparing. You know, I have some memory difficulties with time. PPH starts at 9. GBC, where I've been attending Grace Bethesda, starts at 9.30. Then there's a small church called MSCC, Mustard Seed Community Church, starts at 10.30. And if you remember, there's Angora, which starts at 3.30. And uh, I have some memory problems sometimes. I either come too early or too late. Three sisters living together, 94, 95, and 96 years old. And the first sister shouted, up, shouted out from <clears throat> upstairs in the bathroom Say to the two sisters in the kitchen downstairs, hey, can someone please tell me whether I'm coming out from my bath or going in? <laughs> and the second sister, 95, says... Ayah, as usual, uh, so forgetful. Let me come up and help you. So as she climbed up the steps, she stopped halfway and she shouted out, can someone please tell me whether I'm coming upstairs or going downstairs? (laughs) So the third, the youngest one, 94, says, you're all pretty useless without me. Touchwood, and she knocks at the table. I'll come up and help you as soon as I see who's knocking at the door. <laughs> Don't ask me why I'm telling you this story. I forget the reason for it. <laughs> Today, I want to speak about two voices. And each of us, there are at least two voices speaking to us, the secular and the spiritual. And the Bible very clearly identifies two voices, and one of them is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Over its uh, 2,000 over years of existence, this uh, controversial book has impressed actually more unbelievers than Christians because of its very strong secular voice. And he, the, the author uses King Solomon. It's unlikely Solomon wrote this. He uses King Solomon's name as his foil to reflect life's bitterness, bitter experience. So Ecclesiastes is the voice of a secular man, a a, a cynic, a skeptic. And life is presented to him and to us in this book in its most negative and most bleak. And although it's mingled with words of wisdom because it is a part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, it is majorly pessimistic, telling us that the struggle of life 
is simply quite meaningless. And this morning, I would like to compare this strong uh, secular voice in Ecclesiastes with that of another voice, the spiritual voice of God's Spirit in the New Testament. But first, let's hear what Ecclesiastes has to say in chapter 1. If you can read together with me, and uh, there are just selected uh, passages we want to read. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Three faces uh, stand out in this passage, and I just want to refer to them. The first phrase, of course, is in the first Two verses, meaningless. Meaningless literally means, uh, the word means actually breath or vapor or breeze. Just comes and blows away in Hebrew. And it is used actually 37 times in this book of Ecclesiastes. Whereas in the whole of the Bible, in the rest of the Bible, it is only used uh, 32 times. So you can see this emphasis which the author is giving in Ecclesiastes to this temporary nature of our world. It's transitory. And this is the life of the man of the world who has put God out of his life. He sees nothing. And as you read this, you see, he sees a life of weariness. He's a jaded soul. And in your older translation, it starts with vanity of vanities. All is vanity to, to him. I think it is a him. It could be to her. But it applies to us, the sum total of what life is about is one utter emptiness and futility. The second phrase in this passage is found in verse 3. If you can turn back, and he uses the word under the sun. Have you got verse 3 there? Go back to verse 3. To the Yes, you got it just now. Under the heaven or under the sun in verse 3. The next one, please. And it is, this particular phrase is used only in this book and it occurs 29 times. And this, in fact, is the first clue we have when we read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes of the scope of the book. For it tells us where the author is coming from. He's talking of things under the sun. That means He's talking from the side of this world, which is at ground level, under the sun. So as a man of the world, his life is bounded by the horizons of this world. He doesn't see beyond it. And he uses Solomon's, Solomon's name and reputation to portray a man who has everything in life, everything that the world could offer to make him rich, to give him much pleasure, to make him powerful. And yet, he says, this ultimate man of the world was not satisfied. So verse 7, 
chapter 1, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Meaning that all the rivers of earthly joy may be flowing into your heart, but they will never fill it and satisfy you. We can never be satisfied by the things of the world alone, just as Solomon was never satisfied. And then he says in verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. Kings and rulers and nations and empires and parliaments and politicians and ministers, they come and go, they rise and they fall. One generation dies, takes over the next generation. The sun rises, the sun sets, and the sun rises and the sun sets. So man's life under the sun is an endless, meaningless cycle. Like uh, so many of you do your treadmill. Have you ever thought that you are going all the time moving but you are going nowhere? That's a treadmill of life. Okay? This is very sad. Very sordid evaluation of the sum total of life. The third phrase in this chapter is found in verse 13 where he says, What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. When you read the first five chapters, at least of Ecclesiastes, it has 12 chapters, you will see, you will learn of man striving after wisdom in chapter 1, after pleasure in chapter 2 and accomplishments, after hard work, hard labor, uh, very good for us as Christians in Singapore, man striving after worldly honor and power, and after popularity, and then chapter 5, after wealth. And in his strife, in his quest, in his pursuits, he can find no satisfaction. And he says, it is a burden God has given to us. So this is the phrase, verse 13, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. You've given us so many things. We enjoy so many things. We've got so many things, but we're not satisfied. It's such a heavy burden in life. Now let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's read that. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. Time to weep, time to laugh. Time to mourn, time to dance. A time to love, time to hate, time for war, time for peace. Seeing the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink, find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. <clears throat> in this chapter, we still have the same secular voice, the man of the world, but he takes on a different tone. And he says a few things here. I'll just identify some of them. He says the first thing is that 
there's a time and a season for everything. That means everything is under somebody's control. And he, of course, recognizes that this predetermined time and season, this fixed times and season is under God's control. He, he recognizes that God is the one who decides time. They are not the times which man has fixed. We think we can fix time, but we know in reality we can never do so. In a, even in our daily affairs and programs, we can never fix time. But God has fixed very specific times and season. We don't know, even in God's fixed times and season, the whens. When will it happen? Will the world come to an end, 2012? Or why it happens? The reasons, the whens, and the wherefores, we don't know. And X. 15, 18 tells us that God knows. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So God has fixed times and seasons. There's a time for everything which God has fixed and they are known only to him. God has fixed a time and a season for every work of his. There was a season for Israel's deliverance from Egypt and release from Babylonian captivity. There was a time. The Bible says in Galatians, there was a fullness of time, the appointed season for the Lord Jesus to appear, that God sent him into this world at his appointed time. So God has appointed seasons and times, be it uh, your Chinese New Year celebration or the re-election of the Taiwanese president or voting in new opposition in parliament or the, go back to history, the overthrow of Pharaoh in Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar, the raising up of Cyrus to liberate God's people, the appointment of John the Baptist predicted hundreds of years before he came in. God had appointed the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the tragedies of life, the holocaust of life, the wars which man has fought in all these things, in every season, at all times, they are the works of God. Whether we like it or we don't, whether we enjoy it or we suffer from it, they are in accordance with God's plan and shadow. That's the first thing he says. God has appointed all times and season. Then the second thing, which is from verse 12 and 13, this voice puts on another tone, which is very which is something which I think will sink with many of us. There's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they can, that each of us may eat, drink, find satisfaction in our work. This is the gift from God. This is followed, actually, if you refer to your Bible in chapter 5, verse 18, it says, what I've seen to be good and to be fitting is to eat, drink, find enjoyment in all the toil in our lives. And then in verse, chapter 9, verse 9, which all the wives should remember by heart, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days. But it ends up, it says, all the days of your vain life. Summed up, actually, in this passage, the author is saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the voice of the secular man. We cannot understand what life is all about. So why make such a big fuss? Why try to wax philosophical? 
might as well enjoy life as well as we can. Work hard, play hard, enjoy hard. After all, we are still going to die. Hmm, sounds quite sensible. But certainly, it doesn't sound so pessimistic as Ecclesiastes chapter 1. A few days back, I was talking with some friends on maintaining good health. And without any prompting on my part, the conversation ended with exactly the same words. I'm sure this friend has not read Ecclesiastes. With exactly the same words as in Ecclesiastes. She said, Ayah, Singaporean, Ayah, after all, we have to die sooner or later, right? So better enjoy life, lah. Don't take life so seriously, she said to us. Live a good life, try to be helpful to others, be grateful for what you've got. Then I kept quiet and I waited for something more hopeful beyond this Singaporean uh, worldly pragmatism. Nothing came. It stopped there. Because the secular man who is without God, or woman who is without God, cannot see beyond what this life offers and has no hope beyond this life. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And the third thing which this voice says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is found in verse 11. He has made, speaking of God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. We love that song, right? He has also set eternity in the hearts of the mind. This is the voice of a secular man who doesn't know God, but he knows that there is a God. But he ends up, after saying this beautiful streak, lightning of revelation which he had, he ends up by saying, yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In others, he's saying, we don't know why God is doing all these things. He has made all things beautiful in his time. He has set eternity in the hearts. I don't know why. Which is his conclusion to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now we want to hear the voice of the Spirit, which is found in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8. Let's read together. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We'll stop there. This whole chapter is perhaps the greatest piece of New Testament writings on our faith in Christ. And I want to recommend as you start your Chinese New Year, 
that every one of us, every Christian, should read this passage over and over and over and over again in our lives. Because I want to say that it is a sure cure, especially for those who are feeling down and out. Romans 8 is the voice of the Spirit of God. And it's mentioned 19 times in the first 27 verses of this chapter. The 39 verses is mentioned 19 times. And this second voice is in contrast to the voice in Ecclesiastes. So we see here what Mao Zedong wants to call the great leap of faith. But this is the true great leap of faith from the secular voice in, of utility in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament to the spiritual voice of freedom in the spirit in the New Testament. It's a long passage. And just want to identify a few thoughts found in the voice of the Spirit to us. The first one is that, verse 15, the Spirit speaks to us by replacing the fears in us with the, 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 the knowledge of freedom and sonship in our relationship with God. Verse 15, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So if we live in fear, there could be something wrong in our spiritual life and relationship with God. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you, brought about your adoption to sonship. Before the Son of God, Jesus, came into our life, we were slaves to sin, to Satan, and to the world. And that's the secular man in Ecclesiastes. And like the sec every secular man, we were fearful of God, fearful of God as our judge. You read Ecclesiastes, he refers to God as our judge. He will bring about judgment. He refers to God as our creator, but he seldom ever refers to God, I think never, as to God as his father, as a heavenly father. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he speaks to us of God's love. He speaks to us of our adoption in God's family. And the, the Holy Spirit takes away, removes the fear from us and gives to us the freedom we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing the Holy Spirit speaks to us is also found in this verse further down. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and teaches us to, God, to call God Father. You have received, and next verse, by Him we cry, Abba, Father. You know, I always wonder when I become a Christian, um, okay, I know God as a creator, I know God as a great God, but who teaches me when I pray to call God Father? Of course, my Sunday school teacher, my elders, my leaders, but actually who puts it in my heart? So that when I call God Father, it's not because my Sunday school teacher say you must call God Father, but because my heart responds to be able to say, God, the great and eternal God, my dear Heavenly Father, because verse 15 says, the Spirit teaches us to call God Father. By Him we cry, Abba, Father. Once He was a God, from some distant place, a creator to be feared. Now he's our heavenly father to be loved.
The third thing, when the voice of God, when the voice of the Spirit speaks to us, is that He assures us, He assures our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He confirms the eternity. You see, Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity in our hearts, but I don't know what's it all about. And the Spirit comes and lives in us, and He confirms the eternity God has put in our hearts. And He says that He assures us that we are God's children. How can we be sure? Again, it's not the messages you have heard or the Bible lessons you have. It's not just understanding the words of the Bible. They're important. But the assurance comes within us. And that assurance no man can give. But the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to us and speaks to our spirit and say, you are truly a child of God. And finally, verse 23. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, verse 23, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. What does this mean? Very simply, it means that the Holy Spirit in us is God's guarantee for the redemption of our bodies. This is our hope of glory. Mind you, it's not just a guarantee for the, for, for the redemption of our souls. We are saved. The minute you receive Jesus Christ, you are saved. The Holy Spirit lives in us. But the Holy Spirit here is the first fruit of the blessings which God are going to shower upon us. And the first fruit is a guarantee of future blessing and the guarantee of the redemption of our bodies. When we get into heaven, we are going to have bodies. You're not going to be a floating spirit or a ghostly figure. You're going to have bodies. At what age, I don't know. But you're going to have a body which God has given to us, which man has abused, and he will redeem this body. Okay, let me close. Here are two voices speaking to us. This Chinese New Year period, the voice of the secular man. No hope beyond this life. And the voice of God's spirit, he lives in us. When you receive Jesus into your life, if you have not, here's the great opportunity to do so. To receive Jesus into your life, you don't have to hear anymore the voice of the secular man, meaningless, vanity of vanity. But you will hear the voice of the spirit who has come to live in you because you receive Jesus into your life. And he gives you assurance and hope beyond this life. Which voice will you listen to? And how should we live to whichever voice we listen to? Mind you, we will always hear two voices. As long as we are in this world, we will always hear two voices. The voice you hear so often as you go out into the world, into the workplace, in the school, and wherever you are, the voice of the secular man. Very often, we don't hear enough of the voice of the Spirit of God. How then should we live? I think the answer from God's word is very clear. There's no compromise. And I want to summarize it briefly. 
in three to four phrases. First of all, we should live as Christians in humility. So often we as Christians to think that uh, we're in control of our life. I was rushed to emergency hospital at 4 a.m. in the morning by my wife because something happened to my body and I couldn't make out. I was having spasms, I was feeling cold and just rushed to the hospital. I thought I was in full control because I've been having all these twitches for a couple of weeks, but that particular night came, I, particular morning came, I had no control. Rushed me to there. Well, they did all kinds of things, did brain scan, checked my brain three times, you know, put MRI, then put out and jet me and did this CT scan, then they got an Indian doctor put wires on my head for EEG. Then they found nothing. No brain. <laughs> so often we think we are in control of our life. And I just discovered recently we are not. Okay? And we forget that we are not in control of our life, not only now. From the day of our birth, we had no control as when we came in. Even our parents really had no control. They think they had, but really they didn't have. To the day of our death, we have no control. Only God is in control. A time to be born and a time to die. And therefore, we, live to, we need to live humbly. Humble ourselves and listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Too often, we are so taken up with what the world is saying to us. What the, the property market is saying to us. What the you know, what all the politicians are saying to us, we listen to all these things, but we must not fail to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Because as we live humbly, we realize that times and seasons and rulers and politicians come and go. God is everlasting and forever, and we have to make him the prime reference in our life for living the second thing I want to say is live in tiptoe anticipation. I love that word tiptoe. Tiptoe, I like every time I stand next to a cockfire, I want to be a little bit tiptoe so that I can be like his height. Live in tiptoe anticipation of the coming of Christ. We read that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you and I living in tiptoe for? I can tell you, if you're a computer buff, I know you're living in tiptoe anticipation of the next Apple product. If you, are, you like to, believe, to hear all these rumors and gossip and superstitions, then you're living in tiptoe for 2012, the world will end. I don't know what they're going to do when it comes in December, but many in the world are living in fearful tiptoe of the end of the world. And I know also right now, many of you are just living in tiptoe anticipation of when this message will end. <laughs> so that you can return to your Chinese New Year celebration. Okay, finally. Finally. Live humbly. Live in tiptoe anticipation of the coming of Christ. That's how we have to live each day. Look. Look at so many things which we can't help it but always be looking also to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who will transform and change us. And then finally, each day, live eagerly for a new body Jesus will give us. I say this, you say, ah, yeah, 
Don't say all this, lah. We know we'll get a new body, but you don't know. I tell you why you don't know. Because so many of us worry about liposuction. All the upgrading of our faces, our teeth, our personal beauty, you know, our body. You know and I know all these will fade away. All the liposuction you can do, your stomach will still be like this. Huh? It will fade away because we are degenerating. Okay? You may try to do it. It's okay. If you want to stay uh, good looking, just don't abuse it. But the important thing is, don't worry so much about these things. Live simply. Then, aside from your longing for these things of the world, aside from your longing for all the beautiful clothes and all the branded goods and bags and things and shoes, aside from all these things, we can learn to live in eager anticipation of the coming of the Lord who will change our lives, transform us, give us a new eternal body. That is the hope we have. Live humbly, live in anticipation of Jesus coming and live in anticipation of his transforming our life. We have to live like that and we can do that only when we turn our eyes upon Jesus. And you will live the life of joy. If you turn your eyes on the world, you'll be like the preacher in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. The world will crowd into your mind. Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind because the world is crowding you and pushing you and pushing you. Advertising, TV, radio, whatever you see around is pushing your mind to form you to be like the world, a secular mind. You have to find your strength and your mind and your transformation and your joy in the Lord. Let's sing together in this time, okay? You got music? <clears throat> okay, let's stand. I know you need to stand. Thank you, David. You're going to lead us? Uh, close with prayer. His time in his time, he makes all things beautiful. Thank you.
Right early in this morning, that Jesus, you are beautiful. In His time, everything will be beautiful. Just want to encourage you to respond. If you have a burden in your heart, even now, this would be a good time to just come forward at an altar call that we can pray together as brothers and sisters, praying before a loving heavenly Father. So, I'm going to open up that that time now. And of course, if you need to leave, then uh, just leave quietly behind. Let me just uh, end with a prayer for everyone. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have time in your control. And that we are your children before such a God. And I want to pray for all my brothers and sisters here as we begin this new. Lunar New Year, that this will be a great time. Over the next few days of celebrations, of meeting up with friends and relatives, but over this year, that you will make our lives something of beauty, beauty in this world, and that from us will flow grace and blessing, and love, and kindness, and it will be beautiful. So God, may you strengthen each one. May you put into our hearts such a heart of thanksgiving and of joy that we can pass on to to others. So thank you, Lord. I pray now that the love of God, the grace of Jesus, the abiding presence of that Spirit in us will always continue to speak to us, prompting us unto love and good deeds. Be with you all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.